Church, we've got a lot to talk about and get into today, and I hope you hang out with me for a while. If you're starting to get hungry, I hope you have a snack or a mint or something somewhere you can have. I, um, I loved as we were just singing, there's none too lost to be saved. Uh, no one is ever too lost that Christ has come to overcome and to overcome sin and death in the world. He has come to seek and to save the lost. And uh, as we begin, uh, there was a a pastor who lived in North Carolina years ago, Vance Havner. Um, He lived and died in the 20th century, died in 1988. And he shares this little story. He said, when I pastored a a country church, a farmer didn't like the sermons I preached on hell. He said, preach about the meek and lowly Jesus. And I said, well, that's where I got my information about hell. It was from the meek and lowly Jesus. Now, church... Today we come to some clear and plain words of the meek and lowly Jesus on hell. And actually I would call this today because the Greek word is Hades, the entry point of hell. And we will see two distinct and different um, destinies, if you will, from two different people. But I want to say today that this is not only a very interesting part of Scripture, but it's also very uh, convicting. It is soul-stirring. It should stir the soul any time we talk about death and our destiny that we would be um, prepared. Now, this information, this section of Scripture is much like uh, the, the parable of the prodigal sons, that it is so good you could hear 30 pastors preach on it. You're going to get 30 really good sermons, so there is a lot here. But I want you to know that Christianity gives good answers to origin. Uh, We have a creation story. There is a beginning to morality, that there is a difference in wrong and right. We want to do right to to, um, meaning to life. We live in an age where people are lonely because the culture has systematically been trying to remove God, which removes purpose and meaning. And ultimately, we also have good answers for a destiny. That there is an end story to this, that we go in, uh, those who believe into eternity with Christ or those who do not believe into an eternity without Christ. So if you would, we're going to look at just Luke chapter 16. Um, The text goes from 19 to 31. We will deal with the last portion next week because there's so much to talk about. But right here, here we have it, 19 through 25. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who who feasted sumptuously every day. He's rich. He has good clothes. uh, He eats well. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted. And you are in anguish. Now church, now that we have read this and we will pray in just a moment, I want you to know in most of the scriptures when you read in here, if it's a parable, it will say the parable of the Good Samaritan, of the lost son or the prodigal son. And here most Bibles would just say the rich man and Lazarus. 
And I want you to know why is because many believe, good theologians believe, that this could have been a real story that Jesus is talking about. He's dealing, there's names in here. Never in a parable was there ever a name. And here we have the name Lazarus. And the way Jesus deals with this is very frankly and actually gives us a way of looking into the unseen world. And so I wanted you uh, to be aware of that as we uh, proceed. So let's pray together uh, this morning. Father, we just thank you for this moment in time just to uh, worship you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to give to the kingdom, to help and to serve in the world. And Lord, we pray today that you open our hearts and minds. Lord, if those who have not believed yet, we pray that they trust in you, um, the, the Savior of the world. That they have the opportunity not to go into an eternity without you. And Lord, I pray that we hear from heaven as last week we talked about that you must be born again to see the kingdom. I pray that we see kingdom things today. And Lord, that we are aware of this reality, the certainty of death and eternity. And Lord, that this would stir our souls to be a people living in accordance to your teachings. Lord, that we are uh, living in a way of helping others around us. That we are missional people. Lord, that we are obedient to your teachings, that we also share the good news with those around us, Lord, who could potentially go into an eternity without you. Let us be stirred in our very soul about these concerns. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, this message is very important to me. As I've shared, my, my life radically changed January 1st, 2003, as we began to attend a church I'd been invited to by a co-worker. We committed our lives to Christ and the church and began to serve, and God called me into ministry. But there was a time period before that, before I actually said yes and went to this Bible study and committed to all these things, my co-worker would come to me often inviting me to this Bible study. We would talk about God, we would talk about the scriptures, we would talk about church, and he gave me a tape one day, and he said, would you be willing to listen to one of my sermons? And uh, looking back, that kind of dates me a little bit because I had a tape, you know, and, and I was willing to take this tape, and I took it home, and I put it in the Walkman, and I began to listen to this message. And it was at this point that my soul was stirred to the reality of death. Now, I had already believed as a young man. I believed in God. I had been baptized at age 11. I was not living for Christ. And God moved in such a way that I had a co-worker willing to even invite me and pass me a sermon that I was open to listening to. And it stirred my soul. It's where the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul says, Those who are sleeping, awake from your slumber. Let the dead people arise. And so my prayer today is that your soul is stirred, that you're awakened to the reality of death and in an eternity without, with or without God, um, that we awaken to these things. But this message was a significant part of my returning to Christ and the church. And as we invest in the souls of our own life and in church today, my prayer is that we have a better understanding of Christ, our mortality, uh, the reality of a destiny together. And, and many act today as if uh, we should not preach about hell. And many have tried to undo this reality. And like what old pastor or preacher Billy Graham said years ago, he said, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we would have less hell in the pews. Meaning, if we spoke about this more, people's lives would be stirred in such a way where they'd recognize, I'm living in sin, I need Jesus, so we need to preach about hell. One of the reasons we've been going through the life of Jesus through the book of Luke, because most people I've met today, they speak of God and they say things that don't even make sense because they've created a false understanding of who Jesus is. 
Jesus is the most loving person that has ever walked this earth, but he was killed for a reason. Do you understand? It wasn't that he went around just affirming everybody and telling them, by the way, you're living in sin, but everything is okay. Jesus never said that. He came to show us the way to God that we may be saved from an eternity away from him. We recite John 3.16 without even thinking about one of the words that occur in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. What does that word even mean? It means go into an eternity away from God. That is one of our favorite verses, John 3.16. The reason Christ came is that you will not perish but have everlasting life. I still, I love the fact that my co-worker was willing to share a message with me that dealt with hell. And today we don't really want to talk about hell. And I tell you, I want to tell you this. Everybody needs someone in their life that's talking to them about hell. My brother, we used to have all these conversations and debates. He knew I believed in the Lord and I was living away from the Lord and we'd talk on the phone. And he would say to me on the phone, Derek, I think you're going to hell. And today we say, well, if you say that, you're going to be judgmental. But God used those things to stir my soul because they're God's words. Last week we talked about you're born again by the word of life, by God's word and the Holy Spirit. We need God's words. Amen. So the first part we get into here, you see it is the rich man and Lazarus. We've already read these verses, but Jesus is drawing a clear contrast between a rich man and a poor man. One is living it up with no concern for the poor man. The rich man is clothed well. He's clothed in purple. It's an expensive garment. He eats well. Lazarus is not clothed well. He is covered in sores, meaning that they could see this. He doesn't have clothing. He's hoping to eat the scraps of the rich man's table. Dogs licked his wounds. You know, these crowds, I often wonder what they're thinking about. These crowds that gathered around Jesus and he's preaching and you wonder what they're thinking. I want you to know when he said the rich man, everybody smiled and thought this was good. They saw the outside. If somebody was rich, they would assume they were blessed of God. If they would have saw Lazarus on the street, they would say he's that way because he's been living in sin. And sometimes it is that situation. But we assume a lot And Jesus has spoken to this situation a lot that you do not go into heaven or hell based on your financial standing. That is not what it is. This is a heart issue. And Jesus is bringing our attention to the reality of this is a man who had it made and he's watching someone starve to death on the streets and doing nothing. And there's another man who was poor, and, and it never says that one was a believer or not, or not. It just says the results of this, but we see the fruit of the lifestyle. I mean, how could anyone who had riches watch a starving, a starving man as living in an alley by his house? And I mean, I just, it stirs my soul on another level that we have a society that would even do that, that he would say, well, he's getting what he deserves. As a teen, maybe I was 18. Uh, years old, I, I can't remember, maybe 18 or 19. I was not living for the Lord, but I was working at a restaurant in Garner, North Carolina called Snoopy's. I love Snoopy's. They have chili cheese fries, magnificent. We stopped off while we were in North Carolina. I had to go to Snoopy's. But this was a walk-up kind of a place. Um, but this new one that I worked at was a dine-in place. It was awesome. I thought it was really cool. And one night we were closing, we are packing everything up. I went out to take uh, uh, the garbage out to the dumpster, and I saw someone stirring around the dumpster. kind of caught me off guard, and I realized, you know, he's digging in. And I said, hey, what are you doing? 
And he said, I'm looking for food. And I was like, you don't have to eat out of the dumpster. I said, wait right here. I ran inside. I packed the biggest bag that we had full of whatever leftover food was there that they would throw out, you know, and the biggest soda I could find. And I took it out to him and, and gave it to him. And I never, I never saw the man again. I don't know where he went or what happened. I don't know if he believed in Christ. But I do know this. Even me being a selfish young teenager, I knew that somebody should not have to dig in the dumpster for food. We should never stand by while someone is suffering. It's something. It says something about our hearts. Now, I'm not talking about you pulled up out of the Walmart. You've been shopping and you got all your groceries and you're pulling out over there by the bed place. And the guy's standing there with a sign asking for money. And uh, they walk up and make sure you see their sign to tell their story. I'm not talking about those people. Oftentimes, they make some pretty good money. Uh, they get a lot of cash, and oftentimes, it's for them to do whatever they want. Um, unless the Lord convicts me, I don't just help those people. I mean, in the time, biblical times, people were so destitute, they didn't even look up. They were just in shame, and they would stick their hands up today. Now people are bold, and they're wanting to be look, you know, perceived as impoverished and in need. But again, this says something about our heart. In church, our, our heart is desperately wicked. It is so wicked that we justify our lack of helping others by saying they deserve it. And I want you to know today that you do not deserve salvation. You deserve hell. But you don't deserve salvation. But for some reason, Christians will speak as if, well, they deserve that situation or they don't deserve my help. But it says a lot about who we are. Church, Jesus did not come into the world to make you look good. He came into the world to give you a new heart, that you would experience that new life, that you would be born again. And again, you don't deserve His grace. He wants to take out that old, stony, bitter heart and give you a tender heart that cares. Um, all you have to do, and, and this is the thing, somebody was telling me, uh, what are the next steps of being baptized? I said, there's not really any steps to be baptized. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be baptized. Um, there's things that we do, there's steps along the way as we grow closer to Christ and are being discipled. But the only step in being saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is by His grace that you are saved. You confess Him as Lord, that you believe that He is who He says He is, that He saves you from your sins, and you want His life, and you commit to Him, and that's the way it works. All you have to do is believe in Christ. The rich man does not go to hell because he was rich, and Lazarus does not go to heaven because he was poor. I mean, the inner heart was hidden. We think, we assume a lot of times who's going to go to heaven or hell, I like what one pastor said years ago, there's going to be some people in heaven you didn't expect to be there. And there's others that you thought were going to be there and they won't be there. Because we're so tempted to look on the outside and assume if somebody has it together financially, that means that they have good faith and they're going to heaven. I talked about that understanding of conservatism today. We want conservatives. And what that means is a superficial morality where somebody kind of does good, but deep in their heart they still need Jesus Christ. Um, one, regardless of that, there's going to be some surprises in heaven. And I hope that the people we invest in and lead to Christ are the ones who are going to be there. Now, here it is. It splits into another thing. There is death and destiny. And here it is in verses 22 through 23. The poor man died. And the rich man died. And regardless of their financial standings, they both have something in common. And it is death. And that is a good reminder for us today, church, is that death is real. 
Young people do life as if they're not going to die. They feel like they got time. There's people that think, I'll, I'll, I'll repent and turn to Jesus later in life. I just need to continue to do what I'm doing now, live the way I want to live and do it my way. But it doesn't say they knew they were going to die. It just says one day they are dead. And our life is brief in comparison to eternity. James, the, the pastor in Jerusalem, says this in his letter uh, 4.14 Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and it vanishes. Winter is coming in Casper. It's already getting crisp. I was glad to be back because North Carolina was hot and humid and sticky. You know, we were ready to get back out west. Of, we were ready for Wyoming, but right around the corner is, is winter. And when winter comes, it gets cold, you breathe, there's a, a mist that goes out from your breath, and then it disappears. It is there for a moment and is gone. And that's basically what James is saying. Our life is very short, that we should be concerned about life and our eternity. Uh, it says here that Lazarus, when he died, he had no place uh, to be buried. Basically, he was the poor man. Um, at the time, there was a valley, a trash dump there called the Valley of Gehenna. Jesus uses that term, as, and we talk about hell for that. And he, this flame always burned. If you were poor, where did they bury you? They would take the poor people's bodies and throw them in the Valley of Gehenna, and they would be burned. No one knew. It never says anyone gathered. No one mourned his loss that we know of. When the rich man died, he probably had a really nice funeral. He may have had a nice tomb he probably had a nice tombstone made and said something nice about how nice he was and all the money he made. This was a nice man. I had a man tell me one time he wanted it said on his tombstone, Al was a great guy. And I turned to the verse in Romans that says, for none are good, none are righteous. He kind of got upset, but that's kind of how I tend to do things. But here it is, that we want to glamorize our life and at funerals, we all want to come and give stories of how great someone was, not even knowing the heart. And I want you to know the pastor is not powerful enough to preach somebody into heaven. No, no matter what the pastor said that day, it says here that he woke up and he is in Hades. He is in the place of torment, regardless of the funeral that went down. It is an obvious torment. You know, I like here that Jesus never really apologizes for Hades. He tells us plainly what happened. This crowd doesn't have to be re-educated about basic theology of hell. They knew there was a final destination. Even Martha, when Jesus is talking to Martha, he said, they said I know there's going to be a resurrection. They believed in a final destiny. They didn't, he didn't have to try to talk them into it. According to a survey, a um, 2014 survey, 72% of Americans believe in heaven and only 58% in hell. Now that's the 58% is down 1% from uh, 2007. So in 10 years, it's slowly edging its way down. And people want to believe in a heaven, a place of comfort and eternity that we can just walk into. And our culture is slowly erasing hell. And I want you to know, according to our loving Lord, a place of torment is real. We want this loving and, and merciful and meek and mild Jesus, but we have to take his teachings with it. We have to hear what he has to say about it. He talks about heaven and he talks about hell. 
Sadly, today we've changed our theology based on the world. The world is becoming more evil. It is a slant. It is bent toward evil. But what we've done as Christians and the church is we've kind of tried to accommodate the theology. We've tried to change our theology to meet the lifestyles of our loved ones. If we have a kid who wanders from the faith, then we, we don't want God to cast my kid into hell. No one would want that. God really wouldn't want to do that. And I want you to know today this loving Jesus has not come. He doesn't want to cast anybody into hell. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. It is the very reason that Jesus came into the world and died on the cross that no one would go and suffer that. But here it is. Well, my kid is... You know, they're living in a drunken stupor and, well, I don't think, well, maybe God doesn't care about drunkenness or drugs. Or I have a kid that may have been in a divorce one day and commit adultery. So we backtrack on, well, it, it happens. Rather than teaching what the scripture says, adultery is, is wrong, it is evil. My kid is a liar, I, I don't want them to go to hell, so I changed my understanding and teaching of hell. I, uh, and we can't do that. We don't like the idea that God would send anybody to a place of torment, but it really shows our understanding of sin. One sin is an offense to this holy God. It is enough. But we're, the world is already in sin. We're fallen, and Jesus gives us the remedy. All we have to do is believe in Him. A truly loving God church has to deal with evil in the world. He has to deal with, we want people, you watch all kinds of movies and shows where somebody committed a murder or some evil act and you want them to be caught. You, you watch all the shows, if you watch Dateline and all these things, they're talking about a murderer and you're watching, you want, you want the information. Don't they have the facts? We want to arrest this guy. We want him thrown in prison. We want him to be dealt with. We want the death penalty at times for this thing, but not for me, not for my life of sin. Um, I don't deserve it is what we think, and we do. We do deserve this. You can listen to the skeptics today who try to tell you what happened 200 million years ago. You, you know how this new culture is to trust the experts. The experts tell us they know what happened 200 million years ago in history, but they deny what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem at the cross and the resurrection that happened. And I want you to hear this today. You can believe, listen to all those skeptics. I'm going to listen to the one who overcame death. I'm going to listen to the one who said he was the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again in victorious life. He destroyed death and hell. That is the one who I believe and trust in. That is the one we are to believe as the church. I'd rather trust in him. And here it is. The scripture is slowly getting there. We have paradise and torment. They are real, church. Verse 23 says here, And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. There, there is a separation. And here it is, we're able to see into the unseen world. At times, there's these glimpses along the way. And Jesus gives us in just a short amount of time, in a few verses, we see what happens when someone dies before the cross and the resurrection. And I want you to know that all those of Old Testament history, all those who were believers, are actually in this place. Believers and non-believers, this place called Hades, the unseen world. The Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for it was Sheol. 
Um, Hades in the New Testament, the Greek word there. Oftentimes you have some old translations, they'll say hell. It has hell for Gehenna, it has hell for Hades, it has hell for Tartarus, the worst place of hell. But for us to understand Hades, uh, the best way I can describe it is that it is two compartments. As you can see here, that they're in, in proximity. They can see each other, they can speak to each other. One is in paradise, which is called Abraham's side here, and the other place is of torment. So what happened to a believer in the time of Christ or before Christ is that they would die if they believed they would go to the place of comfort if they were believers of God. If they weren't, if they rejected God, they went into the place of torment. It is why at the cross, Jesus is in the middle. He had two, a thief on each side, malefactors, the Old Testament would, or the Old Scriptures would say, and um, these, these lawbreakers. They both riled, they, they, they mocked Jesus, and one began to believe and Jesus tells them, today you will be with me in paradise, in Hades, the place of comfort, because Christ hasn't risen again. When Christ raised from the grave, was raised from the grave, things changed. Paradise was emptied when Christ ascended. He took those who were in the unseen world and paradise into his presence in heaven is where they are today. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Those who are in this containment, this place of paradise, are now in heaven. It says in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. Christ who came here also. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, it says he descended into hell. And a lot of people said, did Jesus go to hell? It's not what it means. For some, it means a literal death, but he went into the unseen world. And many believe when he went there, he's in Hades, the two compartments, the place of suffering and torment, the place of paradise, Abraham's bosom or his side, and he preaches the gospel. I am the Messiah that was promised. You have rejected it, and you will be cast into the lake of fire. To those who believe, you're coming with me. And they went to be in the presence of God. So now when you die as a believer, you go directly to heaven to be with Christ. The lost in torment presently are still in this holding cell, and it will be emptied later. They will be delivered up for the judgment at the great white throne. There is, we don't like, we say churches are too judgy, Christians are too judgy today. There is going to be a great white throne judgment. Listen to this apocalyptic book, Revelation. It says here in Revelation 20, verses 13 through 14, and the sea gave up the dead. I love that. It's fascinating. There was a movement in atheism years ago where everybody wanted to be cremated because they said they wanted to keep God from forming their body or resurrecting their body. And I want you to know if the God that put the particles together in the first place can take those ashes and dust and form it back together and bring them up, you cannot escape the judgment. The sea gave up the dead and who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it. Here it is, Hades, the torment. Now they give up the dead. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And I want you to know that matters. The heart matters, but also your life and what you have done in life. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is what hell is. Hell is the eternal lake of fire. It never was Hades. Hades was the place of torment. And those who rejected God, this place of torment is cast into the lake of fire. They don't get out of it. 
They go to be in eternity away from God in eternity in suffering. So when the rich man dies, his spirit went to be in the compartment for the lost. And it is obvious torment. And this is before the resurrection and the soul and the body come together. This is a spirit in torment crying out to God. Crying out to Abraham to bring some relief. This is before he even has a body. He goes obvious into torment. I've heard people talk over the years. They try to be bold. I'd rather go to hell. It's going to be funner there. And they have no concept of the reality. And, and, and to be honest, we failed at preaching the goodness of God, that we would be with God in all eternity, and how great it would be. Raise your hand if you know who Freddie Mercury is, lead singer of the band Queen. We love to sing his songs. He lived a, a, wrecked, a wretched life, a wrecked life, addicted to drugs, homosexuality, sensuality, all these things, and in an interview, he said, oh, I was not made for heaven. They were asking, would you go to heaven or hell? I was not made for heaven. No, I don't want to go to heaven. Hell is much better. Think of all the interesting people you're going to meet down there. And I want you to know this rich man had lived an interesting life, and here it is, it reduced to crying out in pain. He as a spirit is in torment, separated from the goodness of God. Everything that he is experiencing, he has given up. He had good in life. He gave it up for nothing, for an eternity without the goodness of God. The rich man calls out to Father Abraham for a little relief. Send Lazarus, dip his hand in water. Give me some relief. And there's, there's none there. You are fully aware in hell. There's no way to check out. There's no passing out from the pain. You continue to be in torment. And here it is. You don't lose your identity. He is still this rich man. And here it is, you're, you're aware. He knows Lazarus. He can see Lazarus. He can see, he knows who Abraham is. And Abraham never even calls him out by a name other than being a, a Jew as of the line of Abraham. Once you know he is fully aware, he remembers. There will be no dementia in heaven and hell. You will be perfectly aware of what is happening to you. Yeah, he is aware of, or remembers. It says, I, I've been looking. Here it is. He sees and Abraham uh, says, remember, you in your lifetime received good things. Basically, you did nothing about it. You had all these blessings. You've had all this time. You had no concern for anyone around you. You were selfish. And now you've, you've done life, what we call ungodly. You've done a life without God. I'm going to ask Jay to come as we prepare to close Church time is obviously getting away from us. What a good message in itself. But I want to close with a story. And years ago when President Calvin Coolidge was actually vice president and he was presiding over the Senate, a senator angrily told a, another one in this, and this is how they debate, he told one to go straight to hell. The offended senator complained to Coolidge as the presiding officer. And uh, he looked up from the book he was leafing through in and he said, I've been, I've been looking through the rule book. He said, I've learned that you don't have to go there. And church, that's the good news for us today and for the world. You do not have to go to hell. Christ has come. He has taken the penalty for you. And this is the problem is that we've known, we've been taught, and most of the world has been preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's died for you, he rose again for you. And if you do a life where you utterly reject that offering, all the suffering Christ did, he took it for you. And if you reject that, then you go into a life without God.
and you take on the suffering yourself. That is what happens here in this story. Again, there's good news. You don't have to go to hell. Christ has made a way for us. So the question today as we close is, are you prepared? Well, you might say, well, I believed in God. I kind of love God. I think about God. But are you a true believer? Have you confessed Christ? Have you believed in His sacrifice? Is it demonstrated in your life? Well, you're also concerned about those who don't deserve grace in the world. The last thing I want to share, church, as we're looking at these scriptures, these two, you have a rich man. He is never named, not once. And you have Lazarus. What you see here is that we've been told that your name is written in a book. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God has a book, the Lamb's book of life. And he writes your name in there. And here it is, Lazarus' name is written in this book, and he comes into the comfort of God. The rich man has another book. In the book of life of everyone, and it says that, you know, the name, if you reject Christ, it is etched out. It is there no more. We've heard where Jesus says, I never knew you. You, nev- you don't have a name anymore. You've rejected all his goodness, and you go into an eternity without him. So here it is, church, as we close. I just want to give you an opportunity to come and pray. Maybe you have a loved one that you need to pray for. Maybe you need to make things right with God. But let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes and let's have a moment of prayer. You can come and pray with us and pray where you are. If God is moving you, come and say yes to him. Commit to him today. Say yes to his life.